Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. From KQED. This is the California Report. Good morning, I'm Lily Jamali. Governor Gavin Newsom and the leading candidates to replace him made one final push to voters yesterday before today's recall election. Newsom was joined in Long Beach by President Joe Biden, who compared leading Republican Larry Elder to the man he defeated in last November's presidential election. He's the clone of Donald Trump. Can you imagine him being governor of this state? You can't let that happen. There's too much at stake. President Biden said the recall vote will reverberate across the nation and the world as he urged Californians to vote no. Governor Newsom has sought to nationalize the race and did so again last night. We may have defeated Donald Trump, but we have not defeated Trumpism. Trumpism is still on the ballot in California. Newsom has called on some big names in the Democratic Party over the last few weeks, campaigning with Senators Elizabeth Warren and Amy Klobuchar and Vice President Kamala Harris, while also running ads from Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders and former President Barack Obama. Meanwhile, the leading candidate to replace Newsom, should he be recalled, conservative talk show host Larry Elder held rallies in Southern California yesterday. Here he was speaking to supporters at an event in Orange County. This is all about turnout, because if we turn out the vote, we win. Elder also knocked the governor for his handling of the homelessness crisis. My opponent, Gavin Newsom, when he ran for mayor in 2004, mayor of San Francisco, said he was going to end the homeless problem in that city in 10 years. That would have been 2014. Have you been to San Francisco lately? Elder was criticized Monday by other Republican candidates like John Cox and Kevin Faulkner for pushing baseless claims of voter fraud even before any election results are in. As was first reported by the Sacramento Bee, the Elder campaign is even pushing voters to a website promoting those unfounded claims. California Secretary of State Shirley Weber says concerns about election security are not warranted, saying the state has some of the strictest security requirements in the country. Well, here in California, the number of people dying from methamphetamine and cocaine overdoses now outnumbers deaths from fentanyl. Health officials are desperate for more treatment options for stimulant addiction. And right now, the governor is considering a bill that would direct the state to pay drug users not to use drugs. KQED's health correspondent April Demboski explains how the controversial drug treatment would work. When Billy Lemon was trying to kick his methamphetamine addiction, he went to a drug treatment center in San Francisco three times a week and peed in a cup. If it tested negative for meth, he got paid $7. And for somebody who had not had any legitimate money without committing felonies, that seemed like a cool thing. The treatment is called contingency management, and it incentivizes drug users with money or gift cards to stay off drugs. People can earn up to three or four hundred dollars over the course of three months. For Lemon, it was about more than just the money. It was about being told, good job. It was the first opportunity where I was like, I have self-worth still. It's buried. This person sees it and is willing to give me seven dollars just to take care of myself. 
that was very motivating. Studies show contingency management works. In San Francisco, 63% of participants stopped using meth entirely, and another 19% reduced their use. The incentives aim to rewire the brain's reward system, so the person seeks the money or gift card to get a dopamine release instead of meth or coke. And you're like, oh, 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 I can feel good without the daily use of that substance. Oh, I, maybe I should, let me try and go one more week. And then all of a sudden you're at 90 days and you've actually, you've made a change. The treatment is controversial. Critics have scoffed at the idea of paying drug users not to use drugs, calling it unethical or a bribe. Most insurers don't cover it. State Medicaid programs fear they'll be violating federal rules if they offer it. The feds forbid any kind of financial inducement as a protection against fraud and waste, so patients can't be lured into unnecessary services. But a California state bill now on the governor's desk would change that. State Senator Scott Weiner is the author. We need to embrace this proven, effective approach, make it clearly legal, and start reimbursing for it. Weiner was surprised the bill passed with so much bipartisan support. The Republicans love it, which I don't think they would, but they actually like it because there's an abstinence component to it, right? It's like we pay you money and you abstain from using the state's Department of Healthcare Services is also on board. This summer, it asked federal regulators for permission to offer contingency management through the state Medicaid program. And the Biden administration appears poised to grant it. Dr. Kelly Pfeiffer is the department's deputy director of behavioral health. Besides California's rising death toll from meth and cocaine, she says these drugs have catastrophic effects on the living. High stimulant use means a lot of people involved in the criminal justice system. Instead of treatment, it means foster care placements instead of children staying with families. It leads to dental problems, lung problems, and heart problems. Which are obviously not only devastating to the person and the family, but very expensive for our healthcare system. Unlike opioids, there are no FDA-approved medication therapies for stimulant addiction. Making contingency management more widely available would cost the state less than $180,000 a year. And Pfeiffer says it will make more people willing to seek treatment. Because people will see success stories. They'll see friends and family getting treatment and getting help and, and getting better. So far, incentive treatment programs have been ad hoc and privately funded. If the governor signs the bill and the feds give their approval, the state could start offering contingency management across California as soon as January. For The California Report, I'm April Domboski. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone, hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years? Or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles? The Snap Judgment Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone, hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years? or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles. The Snap Judgment Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment, 
Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Well, garment workers in California are one step closer to securing hourly wages and pay theft protections thanks to a bill that's waiting to be signed by the governor. With more, here's KCRW's Benjamin Gottlieb. California's minimum wage sits at $14 an hour right now. But for many garment workers in the state, especially in the Los Angeles area, their actual wages are often half of that. That's according to a study by the UCLA Labor Center from a few years ago, and also bolstered by personal accounts by workers. Instead of offering an hourly wage, many manufacturers currently pay their fabric sewers and their cutters per piece of clothing, for example. This state bill would change that by mandating hourly wages. It would also upgrade a more than 20-year-old law that was meant to protect workers against wage theft by holding both manufacturers and fashion brands responsible for wage complaints. Now, no state has more garment workers than California. Proponents of this bill hope it will spark similar efforts in other parts of the U.S. There are some opponents, however, including the California Chamber of Commerce, which put the bill on its, quote, job killer list, saying it would drive large manufacturers out of California. For the California Report, I'm Benjamin Gottlieb in Los Angeles. A design blogger and e-commerce entrepreneur with 5 million followers on Pinterest who says she helped launch the social media site is suing the company's co-founders. KQED's Rachel Myro has more from our Silicon Valley desk. Plaintiff Christine Martinez of Oakland argues she contributed core organizing concepts like the platform's boards and the phrase pin it, that she helped persuade top design and lifestyle bloggers to use Pinterest and promote it, that she cultivated ties between the design world and Pinterest co-founders Ben Silberman and Paul Schiara. Martinez was never formally employed by Pinterest and had no contract, but the lawsuit claims the men verbally agreed to compensate her, an implied contract, which they breached after the company went public in 2019. No comment yet from Pinterest. For the California Report, I'm Rachel Myro. A federal judge wants PG&E to explain why it took several hours to shut off electricity to a power line with blown fuses at a site where the Dixie fire ignited. That delay may have caused the now nearly million-acre blaze. KQED's Alex Emsley reports. Judge William also pressed a PG&E worker during over two hours of testimony Monday, asking why he didn't act quickly to remotely deactivate the line. The so-called trouble man, whose identity is concealed out of concerns for his safety, said he couldn't tell a tree had fallen into the power line until he doubled back to reach a set of blown fuses, a journey that took him about four hours on the remote country road near the Butte and Plumas County border. The judge is ordering PG&E to explain why no one cut power to what he said was the utility's 11th most dangerous line for starting a wildfire. The company must produce by Friday the names of anyone involved in events leading up to the fire. And the judge says he may order more PG&E employees to testify. For the California Report, I'm Alex Emsley in San Francisco. A fire called the KNP Complex continues to burn in Sequoia National Park and as of this morning has burned more than 3,000 acres with no containment by firefighters. The complex is made up of the Colony and Paradise fires, which were started by lightning strikes late last week. They're burning on steep terrain in areas with dense vegetation and officials anticipate they'll continue to grow. Mark Ruggiero is Fire Information Officer for Sequoia and Kings Canyon National Parks. Weather conditions are normal for this time of year, so the, the fires are well established in their current locations, and uh, 
we we think you know that, that it's going to take a while to uh, suppress these fires. On Monday, the San Joaquin Valley Air District issued an air advisory for Fresno, Kings, and Tulare counties, as well as the valley portion of Kern County because of the smoke coming from the KNP complex and the Windy Fire, which ignited on the Tule River Indian Reservation and has burned nearly 1,300 acres with no containment. It's now crossed into Sequoia National Park. And that is the California Report for this Tuesday, September 14th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Lily Jamali. Support for the California Report comes from Stanford Medicine. Protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits. StanfordHealthCare.org slash AdaptingCare. SFMOMA, presenting the world premiere of Joan Mitchell, a stunning retrospective of over 80 works by the trailblazing painter who made art on her own terms. Learn more at sfmoma.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy harnesses the power of people and science to create innovative solutions for a healthy environment, just societies, and opportunities for human achievement. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find the link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State. But we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts.